you're, you're literally, it's like the instincts of fight or flight. You're just like, we gotta survive. Right. And so whatever it takes, we're gonna, we're gonna figure it out. I do have a generally overly optimistic view of the world. I think a lot of entrepreneurs do. Okay. Um, because you gotta, you gotta be willing to convince yourself that it's possible, even when the world is telling you it's not. Like Venmo was an idea that a thousand people said is a terrible idea, and enough uh, said it was a good idea that we actually pulled it off. Hi everybody, so excited to share my conversation with my friend Mike Vaughn, who is the past Chief Operating Officer of Venmo. Mike was born and raised right outside of Philly, where he went to the Hill School and then graduated from Penn in 1997. Today, he still lives right outside of Philly with his wife and two sons. So Mike takes us on the journey of how Venmo was founded by two Penn grads, Cortina and Ikram. And what's cool is that Mike joined the team in the early days of 2011 when their headquarters were still in a tiny apartment in Philly and the team consisted of only a handful of people. Since day one, Mike was the chief operating officer of Venmo in which he played a major role in helping to build the company from the ground up. Today, Venmo is, is consistently in the list of the top 20 apps in the world. But what's important to remember is that just like every startup, Venmo experienced a great amount of adversity in those beginning days. In fact, they almost shut down in 2012 they were just days away from not being able to meet payroll. Thankfully, a company called Braintree came along and saw the potential in Venmo and bought them for $26.2 million in 2012. And then PayPal acquired them for $800 million in 2013. I'm super grateful Venmo did not shut their doors in 2012 because as every listener who uses Venmo can most likely agree, it has made the process of exchanging money an incredibly seamless, easy, and fun experience. So fast forward a little bit, Mike left Venmo in 2019 and is now an executive in residence for Oak HC slash FT, which is a venture growth equity fund investing in financial technology and healthcare information and services. Hope you guys enjoy Mike's story as much as I did. So welcome, Mike, to the podcast. Really excited uh, to feature your story. And just so listeners know, it's Tuesday, May 12th, and we're about two months deep into this COVID-19 pandemic. So we're obviously conducting the interview over the phone. I know listeners sort of like to understand your background, you know, where you grew up and, you know, went to school. So if you can touch on that, um, that would be a great start. Yeah, my Philly guy through and through. I grew up outside Philly, out in Chester County, out in the out in the sticks, a little town called Bertrandville, and uh, horse country. And went to the Hill School, which was at the time an all boys school in in Pottstown. Uh, it's boarding school. I went there uh, for five years, four of which were I was I was a day student, so um, I still was living at home and lived there my senior year. And then uh, went to Penn. Um, I decided after the Hill School, I had a, had gotten my fill of liberal arts education and uh, wanted to find something a little more practical and and ended up going to Wharton uh, undergrad at Penn and okay. uh, got uh, that's where I you know really decided I was going to be you know an entrepreneur. I was in the entrepreneurship program uh, Wharton at the time, still today, but a lot less so today than it was back then. At the time, Wharton was a hardcore finance school. And, uh, and everyone who went to Wharton, the whole point was to go get a job at a bank, you know, go to Goldman Sachs or go, go into consulting like, uh, McKinsey. And, 
you know, and then there was a handful of us doing entrepreneurship, and we we're kind of the outcasts. Uh, you know, why are you at Wharton if you aren't going to go into into investment banking? And this was '97. Uh, I graduated Penn, so okay. Um, and and we started business out of that was a uh, a project that was for one of our entrepreneurship classes. Three, two other guys and I started it. Um, it ended up not working out, but it sort of sent me on this path of, I always told people now, now after having done that, even though, you know, it, it was, uh, not a success. Um, it was kind of the starting point of me never having a real job and, uh, always trying to figure out some other, some other path. And, uh, you know, the, the three of us turned down our, our consulting and banking jobs, uh, that we had gotten through the sort of on campus recruiting, did this business, during school and and ran it my senior year and then the following year ended up uh, winding it down uh, and then when you know I've been on a lifelong you know last 20 years or so of of different uh, startups where uh, you know I've, I've been joined you know I've been part of probably four or five different companies where you know right after that I joined a company in, in uh, San Francisco called Telfia that was you know, maybe a 10 or 15 person company at the time. Okay. Um, and that's where we had our first son. I uh, was born out in San Francisco. It's out there through the whole boom bust cycle of the first sort of internet boom with pets.com and webvan and all those, uh, 99 to 04. And, uh, our company, Telfia ended up, uh, after I left, it sold to Nielsen, uh, the Nielsen media radiance and okay. became their, mobile measurement product called Nielsen Mobile. Uh, I think it sold in 2007. Got it. We moved, we moved back east, and uh, we had our, we have two boys. We had our second son back here in, in Bremar and moved back to Philly and uh, uh, and have been part of uh, several different companies mm-hmm. back here um, where I met the founder of Venmo was uh, at a company in Philly called Ticket Leap, which is in the ticketing space, building a ticketing marketplace Okay. Uh, sort of, you know, ticket master for the, the smaller venues and event organizers, and Ikram uh, was uh, on the tech team there, leading, leading the engineering team, and, and uh, ended up starting Venmo with his buddy, Andrew Cortina, from, uh, they went to Penn together, okay. long after I was at, at, at Penn, but uh, they also were Penn grads, and uh, they launched Venmo while we were working together, uh, while Ikram and I were working together at Ticket Leap, and then eventually joined them. Okay. They they started kind of like 2009, 10, and I I joined them in 2011. Love it. Still like five guys in an apartment in Philly. Um, I definitely want to dive into the whole Venmo startup scene, but backpedaling a little bit, um, you mentioned how when you were at Wharton, you were one of the few that sort of were heading on the entrepreneurial path. So where did you get that entrepreneurial bug? Was it like an influence your parents had on you growing up? Um, would love to learn about that a little bit. It's uh, a good question. I, uh, for some reason, I don't know. I always had this in me of just sort of bucking the trend and you know a little bit of the breaking the rules and pushing the limits on things and, and mm-hmm. sort of trying to figure out you know why isn't somebody figuring out a better way to do something? My wife always gives me a hard time every time we go somewhere. I always want to break down you know, the business, how the mm-hmm. restaurant runs, how the amusement park runs, why this thing works this way, why doesn't somebody do it better? Okay. Um, she gets tired of hearing about it. But <laughs> there's something in, in my brain that just kind of uh, thinks that way. Uh, my dad was a, you know, they didn't really call it um, like startups back then, but uh, 
kind of fits the bill. Um, it was a company in, in uh, Pennsylvania called Share Medical Systems, which he, he out of college he went to he went to IBM and was a uh, sort of in the um, computer age when it, back when it was punch cards and before anybody knew what it was and uh, a bunch of uh, guys started shared medical systems i think coming out of ibm i don't know exactly the timeline but he had a had a job at ibm for i don't know a year or two and then ended up coming and joining the startup in philly and that's how the, my parents both grew up in wisconsin and, and uh, that's how we ended up in philly got it my family's still still in wisconsin but i was born in in westchester and uh, so i spent i spent my whole life in philly other than the San Francisco stretch, but maybe there's maybe that DNA is in there for my dad. I mean, he, he took a big risk moving out of Wisconsin, right, uh, yeah. you know, going into computer science, which was sort of a little bit out there back then and, and uh, wasn't something that people really totally understood and, and ended up moving his family to, to Philadelphia to pursue this opportunity. He ended up retiring from that company. It was, things were a little different back then. I, okay. I had more jobs you know, by the time I was 22, then my dad had his whole life. But, right. uh, but uh, you know, it was really, you know, when you look at the, the arc of that company, it was it was a startup before they called them startups and, and, uh, and, you know, sort of went through that whole evolution of, you know, it eventually was a public company. So, you know, they, uh, you know, it's it's got, you know, now it's venture backed and, and IPOs and mm-hmm. acquisitions and stuff like that. That that stuff was all happening back then. It was just not with all the buzzwords so got it. as 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 frequent. So there's there's definitely something there with, with my dad that um must must have gotten through to me. Um and yeah, I don't I, I don't really know what it was but uh, I remember thinking at Penn we're we're taking this entrepreneurship class and the, the entrepreneurship program was pretty Penn, Penn's unique now, even today, uh, as a as an undergrad business program. Back then, it, it it was one of the only ones, and it's still, I think, you know, it, I would call it the best in the world. Uh, yeah. You know, but it's 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 it objectively always ranked in in the top, for, you know, whatever number. But uh, but back then, it was it was very unique to have an undergrad business program one, and then two to have an entrepreneurship program, and and uh, it wasn't you know it wasn't the trendy thing back then. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, I did information systems and entrepreneurship. And in the entrepreneurship class, uh, I re- remember thinking, well, this was the whole point of coming here was learn how to run a business. And uh, here we are. We, we got a good idea. Let's go try to do it. Like, why not? And my senior year, I uh, had enough credit, so I dropped down to one class just to finish my, you know, what I had to graduate and, and ran the business um, my senior year with, with these two other guys and and uh and Mike, what know, was like that said, what was that business that you guys ran it was a uh campus debit card program so it was sort of like you know now every school has it where it's like the pen card or the villanova card or the st joe's card you, okay. you can use your you can use your id card by uh, you know to, to go to restaurants and stuff and okay. it's like a prepaid card back then at Penn, all we had was the um uh, cafeteria and, and okay. so and in fact the cafeteria wasn't open on the weekends and you're you're living in West Philly and uh, you know having to sort of uh, 
find your own way on the weekends and, and you know, a lot of kids, you know, are, don't, are, are sort of scraping by with a few right. bucks here and there, right, right. you know, like all college kids. And, uh, and so we came up with a way to sort of, um, create a, we could, we always call it an off campus meal program where parents could put money on it and you could use it at restaurants. Very cool. And it, and it, it worked at Penn locally. It, it, we tried to sort of grow it, um, bigger than that that's where we kind of ran into some trouble where we had trouble growing it behind got it but uh it's cool you guys gave it a shot though yeah and weirdly when i look back people ask me like is are you are you do you have something about like back then they didn't call it fintech now it's you know financial technology Mm -hmm. um but you know my my career's kind of come full circle where i ended up back in uh, yeah Very cool. I don't think it was necessarily on purpose, but uh, yeah, that's the way it kind of happened. So, Mike, what I think the listeners might like to hear about is what inspired Cortina and Ikram, the two friends, both went to Penn to invent Venmo. So, I read somewhere that they had a lightning bolt moment when Ikram, who at the time was living in Philly, was visiting Cortina in New York City for a weekend. So, they both were in their young twenties, and they had a really fun weekend meeting up with friends for drinks, grabbing dinners. But there was one problem. Ikram had forgotten his wallet, so Cortina had to cover him for the entire weekend. Sunday rolls around, and they racked up quite the bill, and Ikram didn't have his checkbook to pay him right back. So Ikram would have to go back to Philly, write a check, or deposit cash from the bank, and then mail it to Cortina. After that weekend, they both agreed there had to be a better way to pay people back, and they sort of had that lightning bolt moment to create Venmo. So would love for you to sort of touch on the whole evolution of really what inspired Cortina and Ikram to invent Venmo. Yeah, they were working on something. Ikram's a musician, and, and they were working on something on how do you, how, how do you figure out a way to pay musicians, like to buy merchandise and, and uh, sort of digital payments for real life where you could use your phone to, you know, tip a musician or a DJ at a mm-hmm. club or, you know, buy their, you know, their, their digital music, um, you know, kind of before the Spotify days back when you bought songs and, um, or just buy merchandise. And so it was basically just like, you know, you have your phone, you have, you have a way to pay online, like, like PayPal, why isn't it easier just to use your phone in person to, to pay? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, um, the, the whole trip to New York thing was, was what, uh, Ikram, Cortina was living in New York. Ikram was in Philly. Okay, got that it. was at the time we were we were working together, and they they would, uh, as the story goes, Ikram forgot his wallet. Cortina sort of covered him for the weekend, and then Ikram uh, was going to pay him back. And and uh, you know, young people aren't big on check, carrying on checkbooks and having checks, and not going to mail money, you know, cash. And people were, for, for whatever reason, people weren't really using PayPal as sort of the PP mechanism and that was that was sort of the they had started to work on the music idea of sending money for for music uh, mm-hmm. for musicians and and then it kind of just turned into well there should be an easier way to pay anybody right uh, you know to, to pay and get paid period like it doesn't matter if you're a musician or just you know you're paying your friend back for the weekend and uh, that, that's when it sort of became what Venmo is today at least conceptually Okay. Um, and and this this was yeah it was like 2009 10. Um, Bikram and I are still working together at Ticket Leap. Um, and uh, Chris Danchek is the founder of Ticket Leap, and and uh, he was helping Bikram just from a sort of advisor standpoint figure out the business and 
then I, I came, got involved in 2011, uh, got, you know, left to get, got involved with, with them now. And, and, uh, it actually started as a, just a text messaging service. So you, okay. you would, uh, connect your, your credit or debit card, and then you would send a, a text message to like a Venmo dedicated number and say, you know, pay Stephanie $5 for lunch. And, and the idea of, you know, what eventually became the note and the social feed in Venmo all started with the idea that um, it wouldn't make sense for you just to get a text that says Mike paid you five dollars because mm-hmm. then you know you, you might not know what what it's for or you'd forget what it's for right and so the note was just very um, practical uh, at the beginning which was well I need to tell you what it's for so right. it became pay pay Stephanie five dollars for lunch and uh, this was while well, was still a text messaging app and, and then when when the app was built. Um, a little later on, uh, it, and most people that signed up for Venmo only know the app. But uh, you know, if you're there real early days, you remember the text messaging app and, and or experience. And and uh, that note of what you're paying somebody for, you know, moved into the app because it still made sense. And then it became, you know, a foundation of well, maybe there's more social context here that would be interesting that people might want to share with each other about what they're doing and you know, who they're hanging out with and, and who they're spending money with. And, and that, you know, eventually became um, what everyone knows of them the day, the, the okay. social feed. So it was 2009, so it was Cortina and Ikram, two pen guys that started the app, and they based, they're based in Philly at that time. And where was your guys' offices, just out of curiosity? They, well, they were working out of... Uh, their apartment that was off Rittenhouse above a Dunkin' Donuts somewhere. Okay. And uh, that was Zikram. And there was another guy, Andrew Staub, who worked with us at Ticket Leap that then uh, went to, I always tell people, Ticket Leap's sort of the godfather of, uh, of, of Venmo. Because okay. uh, in, in, a, in a number of ways, a bunch of people, um, you know, Ikram and then Andrew Staub joined them, and, and uh, Chris was advising them, and I was helping them eventually join them. And uh, Mike Crossy was our lawyer at uh, Ticket Leap, and, and uh, or, or he was our outside counsel for Ticket Leap. He, been, he was he was helping them from a legal standpoint. So there's a bunch of people in the, involved in Ticket Leap that, and and also just like we had built Ticket Leap, and the whole back end required us to learn the whole. You know, this was back before Braintree and Stripe and all these easy to use sort of payment platforms that okay. developers use today. And so when we built Tigley, the, the technology had to, uh, we had to navigate the whole banking infrastructure in, in a much more sort of core raw way, which was really hard to do back then. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we built all the credit card processing, process payments, all the fraud rules to detect fraud and prevent fraud, all the, you know, ACH payments to pay out of then organizers after the fact and detect fraud on that side as well. And, and this was all stuff that is now much easier to do with, with, with the brain trees and stripes of the world. Um, okay. But uh, in a weird way, well, not even weird, in, 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 in a direct way, actually, um, what we learned doing that was was directly sort of translated into a lot of the sort of back-end infrastructure that became Venmo when, when Ikram started working on it. And That's as we cool. built it, um, the relationships with the banks, knowing the card networks, knowing how ACH worked, all that stuff be, was, was useful in, in terms of building what was eventually um, just a pure payments business. And, right. uh, and so Ticket Leap had a big hand in, in, in Venmo's formation in a lot of ways. Um, 
And then when I joined in 2011, it was um, Ikram and uh, Cortina, and their, one of their friends from, from Penn was one of the first employees, Shrouds, and Andrew Staub, um, and, and another guy, Matthew Pasquale, who was, who was kind of their first hire of somebody that I think wasn't directly you know, in their friend group or school or related in, in right. some fashion. And, and he, he was the sort of lead design and engineer, um, on the app that, uh, was, was the team that eventually created what, what people know of them today. Um, and at the time we were in, uh, an apartment on Locust street, right off Rittenhouse square where the, where the five or six of us were, were working out of it. Got it. So you were what, the fifth or sixth employee? Of Venmo? Yeah, they, yeah, I was probably sixth in that apartment with Pickering okay. and Cortina and three other guys, and then and then they, um, and then we that summer 2011, uh, I was helping them with their money transmission licenses, which is something you got to have at a state level when you're in the money service when you're handling people's money and you're mm-hmm. not a bank. Okay. I knew nothing about it, but that was the first thing I had to figure out was we had to get right. uh, you know compliant with with all the regulations and and uh, and. We raised uh, our A round, our our Series A uh, financing. Uh, Excel was the lead investor. Um, Samir Gandhi was the investment partner on board. Uh, Ian Sigalow from Greycroft uh, uh, came in that round, and then a okay. bunch of other folks like Ari and and Lair and and, uh, and Betaworks and others, um, a bunch of New York folks, and, and then a lot of individuals were were involved as well. That was August 2011. We closed okay. um, that round, and then that's when we moved up to New York. So, um, okay. at the time, Andrew Stow, Vikram, and I were all Philly guys, um, you know, in some fashion. Cortino was up in New York, and and so the team moved up to New York. Vikram moved up there. Stow and I. What was started. your What was your first office, Mike? How many square feet? Just out of in 2011 oh, or so. Up in New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the funny part was it, it was also above a Dunkin' Donuts okay. uh, on Seventh <laughs> Avenue. The Dunkin' Donuts is still there. It's Twenty Seventh and Seventh, um, and I, I want to say you know a thousand square feet maybe. Wow, square feet. And um, then eight years later, there was a hole in the wall. <laughs> or nine years later, she started a thousand square feet. Um, so can you talk about those days a little bit? Because I think people kind of think of Venmo as this, um, you know, super successful company, but, you know, it did hit a lot of bumps along the way. So I'd love for you to kind of talk about those early days, I think right before 2012. Yeah, I mean, I, I think just about every company that you ever hear about has gone through this. Um, mm-hmm. And, and you know, the, the, the difference between uh, – you know, success and failure. When you look back, is such a fine line. It's hard to even. It's hard to even wrap your head around um, all the breaks that need to go your way. You, you got to be good. You got to have a great idea. You have to have a great team. And then, I think in many cases, you need a lot of luck. Not not all cases. I mean, some are just like destined for greatness. But uh, but a lot of times, it's got to be right place, right time. And um, you know, there's a lot of good businesses that come along too early. Um, you know, you look at grocery delivery today is a great example. Mm-hmm. You know, it's having it stay in the you know in the spotlight. I was in San Francisco and I watched Webbang burn through two billion dollars and and uh, go out of business. And that was just uh, you know a little too early for the market. Right. And, uh, you know, in, in Instacart and Uber Eats and all these are basically Webbang. But today, 
And, uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons why it works today um, that, that it didn't work back then, primarily mobile technology everybody having a phone but mm-hmm. but it's it's just funny when you think about um how similar that business was or chewy is you know chewy is a multi-billion dollar internet retailer that you know what pets.com is is sort of the poster child for failed businesses back then and it's basically the same business just 20 right. years later and and so a lot of luck on timing too um and for venmo we were you know we we, we were building a business that um was not a not, not was going to need a lot of a, a lot of financing to, to grow. Our strategy was going to be grow a user base, and then uh, and then you can create demand to integrate with merchants, mm-hmm. create other revenue opportunities. But it all it all work, it only works at scale. The, okay. the, the ecosystem only works at scale. You know, Venmo even on P2P doesn't work if if you only have one friend on it. How you know you're not going to use it that often, and, and it's not terribly useful if, if you only know one other person on it. So right. everything about Venmo is grow and scale. The problem was back in in 2011-12, uh, you know, until the last five years or so, venture capital, you know, it was like we were we raised a five million dollar A round, mm-hmm. and we were trying to raise, you know, let's say a five or ten million dollar B round. Um, today, you know, there are neo banks that are raising hundreds of millions of dollars in their B and C and D and E and F rounds, <laughs> and you know, raising billions of dollars. Um, right. And and that was not the case back then, and and so if if that were maybe Venmo um, has a different path that stays independent. But I think even in hindsight, people asked did Venmo sell too early, and I I don't think so. I think it um, I think it really uh, maybe doesn't exist if we don't sell the brain tree because okay. uh, I'm not sure we would have been able to raise the kind of capital over and over again that we would have needed. Okay. Um, and and in that you know it was really that year between you know raising the around and and selling the brain tree was literally exactly a year to the day almost. Um, where we were trying to raise a B round, we were talking to anyone who would listen to try to sell it because we had gotten a lot of traction it was it, there was too much there to let it die right and the investors knew that we knew that and we had um you know in the i don't remember the exact number but caught in, in maybe in the tens of thousands of users um so nothing like it is today but enough to say wow in a year you know we went from having you know a few hundred of Ickerman cortina's friends using Venmo, and over the last couple of years it's gone from that to you know tens of thousands of people and clearly right. not all of them are Ickerman cortina's friends anymore yeah. so something's working and uh but but you know you, there are a lot of businesses where that happens where you say you know this is too good to let it die but but you need to you know you need the financial backing to be, be able to make it work and we just you know we we're pretty close to to winding it down just because we didn't have a good answer for that. And um, the the tough part about Venmo is the faster that it grew, the faster we burned through the cash because it was a free service. Okay. And, um, and so that strategy works as long as you can keep funding it. And, and once the funds dry up, you know, or you're getting close to the end of that runway, you know, you're in this weird state where growth actually feels like a bad thing because the faster you grow, the shorter the runway gets. Right. Um, so were you personally ever worried about like losing your job or did you kind of have faith in, in Venmo that it was going to be okay? Yeah. I mean, uh, I, when you're in that, you don't stop to think, honestly, uh, people have asked me that and, and it's just like, it's weird. And I imagine people, companies that are going through this, um, crisis right now, particularly if, if they 
you know, are in a business that, that they've gotten crushed by it because they're in retail or, or they provide a service to restaurants, which there are a lot of good companies out there like that. Mm-hmm. You kind of just put your head down and, and go. And yeah. You don't have time to think about it. And, and there's always time afterwards in the aftermath to, you know, hopefully, you know, as you pull it out. Right. And for us, you know, in the moment, you know, you're pulling all-nighters, you're trying to get, you know, all the paperwork done, you're trying to get the models done, you're trying to provide all the information to get a deal done. And, you know, we, we went through it again a year later with PayPal, not as dire of a situation, but, right. but having gone, gone through it again. And, and honestly, you just, like, you don't stop to think. You just go. You and just go, yeah. And, the, and you're, you're literally, it's like the instincts of fight or flight. You're just like, we got to survive. Right. So whatever it takes, we're going we're gonna to figure it out. I do have a generally overly optimistic view of the world. I think a lot of entrepreneurs do. Okay. Um, because you got to you got to be willing to convince yourself that it's possible, even when the world is telling you it's not. Like, Venmo was an idea that a thousand people said is a terrible idea, and enough uh, said it was a good idea that we actually pulled it off. And and uh, and if you're a good sort of entrepreneur or leader in those moments, you know, as much as you are, you know, worried and, and need to be thoughtful about, you know, managing the business the right way, Okay. You also have to be a little bit irrationally optimistic to, to think you can pull it off because right. the odds are stacked against you. There's no reason we pulled it off, right? Like, there's no reason um, people backed the idea back then. Um, there's no reason you were able to sort of, you know, throw that Hail Mary and get acquired. There's no reason that, you know, there's, you know, $100 billion worth of payments going through Venmo today. Um, and if you talk to the the masses, they would have told you it's it's not going to work, right? The general right. consensus was it was a really bad idea. <laughs> it was not needed. It was not needed, and uh, and and so you, you know, in moments like that, you 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 know, I think I think it is a trait of of a lot of leaders and entrepreneurs in particular is you you just have to believe there's a way uh, right. to figure it out, and and you will figure it out, and, yeah. and uh, no matter how much the you know, the world is telling you it's not going to work out. <laughs> right. You, you, you got to keep going until it's until it's no longer. And, and, uh, and so I, I, I think, uh, there, there, and I've been doing this, I've been doing some version of startup or small company or growth company my whole life. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you, you kind of get used to it. And sometimes, you know, you win some, you lose some. Right, uh, right, right. Pick yourself up and dust yourself off and move on. Yeah, very cool. And so, just to give the listeners a timeline too. So, started in you know 2009-2010, sold to Braintree for 26.2 million in 2012, and then one year later for PayPal um, in 2013 for 800 million. Fast forward a little bit to to people understand statistics too with Venmo. You know, we're in 2020. So, how many users? does Venmo have today and then what is their profit? So I'll defer to the uh, PayPal earnings calls um, okay. for those numbers. I've been <laughs> I've been long removed from it. I think the last uh, the last time they announced anything on Venmo was last not this quarter Q one, but I think at the end of Q four uh, earnings call they were at fifty two million users and, and wow. the the payment volume in 2019 was 100 billion dollars. Okay. In total payment volume on Venmo, 
um, which is just mind-boggling to think, you know, um, there's $100 billion worth of payment volume moving through that network that, you know, seven or eight years earlier, people didn't think needed to to exist. And and I think they said they were on a uh, run rate um, of 400 million, 350 or 400 million in, in revenue, don't quote me on that one, but it had started to sort of turn the corner um, while I was still there, and then obviously since then on, on sort of, you know, fulfilling the vision for Venmo of this isn't just a free P2P service, but there there's a business model there, and, and uh, it's starting to sort of play out, I think, in, in terms of uh, seeing that revenue growth. Okay, very cool. And then, so just about a year ago, you know, moving on a little bit, you left Venmo in, you know, the spring of 2019. Um, and... Why did you decide to leave Venmo? Uh, it just felt like time, right? Mm-hmm. I'd been, it was eight years. I'd never worked anywhere more than five years. Um, I was eight years all in Venmo, and, and, and five of which was part of PayPal. Um, and it there was a good point in time where, you know, there was other people to take over Venmo and, and sort of carry it forward. I, you know, the founders were there uh, through, um, you know, uh, 2014, 15, then, uh, we had to move on from that. You know, that's always a big change when the founders leave. Right. Um, and, and so there's always this transition. And, and for me, it got to a point where it, it was no longer sort of building something. It was now a lot more about sort of optimizing and maintaining. And, and that was not as interesting to me. Then though, still, it's like there are days where, you know, I, I still, track Venmo and I still listen to the earnings call to see how they're doing and, mm-hmm. and I still check the app store to see where it's ranked in the app store and you know when you look in the app store and it's in the top 20 apps of all apps in the app store you know and it's listed next to Uber and, and Facebook and Spotify and things like that you you know you still take pride in that but uh, it had gotten to the point where you know it, it was no longer it was not as much about building new things which is really what I like to do and and uh, there was an opportunity to sort of transition out where, you know, you knew you were leaving in good, good hands. And, right. and, uh, and, and it's felt like the right move. It's going to be a chance to sort of uh, move on and, and do some other things and, and get back into, you know, while I'm not uh, running a startup or, or doing my own thing, I'm, I've had a chance to spend a lot of time with a lot of founders that are doing startups and, and helping them. And that's been a lot of fun to get back at that ground level and, and working with, with teams that are that are just getting started. Very cool. And you guys, you said you're based out of Connecticut today, right? Yeah, the Oak HCFT team is, and uh, they have they have people in Boston and and uh, San Francisco as well, and and um, and so that's that's where I spend a bunch of my time helping them with their. You know, identify new opportunities. We're looking for things that I could, you know, maybe go start or, or help run, um, help advise their companies. And these are these are kind of growth stage, like B round, C round kind of okay. companies in healthcare and fintech. And then and then I'm doing a lot of stuff on my own um, independently, where it's it's not, you know, it might be too early for what it does or is outside of their sort of fintech healthcare target. And and uh, and there. I'm, it's a lot of earlier stage, everything from like, you know, solo, you know, idea stage, mm-hmm. uh, founder to, to sort of, you know, a few companies on that where board roles that are, um, kind of at that eight round stage or B round stage and then everything in between a lot of, a lot of that stuff's in FinTech because 
because of Venmo, I, you know, that's, that's the stuff that kind of finds me. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it's, you know, a little broader where it's just general sort of enterprise or consumer tech, but, uh, but yeah, so it's, I've, 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 I've the benefit of being able to spend time with, with companies and founder founding teams that are, Very cool. um, all different stages and, and, and also get to spend a little bit of time learning the venture side of it, having raised money from venture a bunch of times, you know, it's, it's cool to be able to spend time with their team and, and, uh, and see the other side of it and be part of the other side of it. So, so Mike, do you, uh, do these companies pitch their ideas to you? Yeah. I mean, okay. with those, uh, well, yeah, in both cases, I mean, uh, at a time where, investing and then there's cases where you know i can be helpful as an advisor where um you know if they're doing something where my experience and background can can help them i get involved as an advisor as well okay because my question for you is anyone that tuning in that might be you know pitching a new business or raising capital do you have any advice for them on that sort of stage uh yeah i mean now's a tricky time because the the world of venture capital is a little you know um there's some uncertainty there. So I think there, there are companies that are still raising. I think there is a lot more uncertainty though. So it's not, it's not as predictable in terms of like there are companies that you thought would have raised that are having trouble. There are other ones that, you know, are, are pausing any raising because they, they want to wait until they get to the other side of this if they can. Um, I think, you know, when you look at that back at other economic sort of downturns um everyone points to like 2008 9 and venmo technically started in 2009 and, and that was right coming you know right in the heart of the uh the you know the economic crisis then right. and a lot of good companies start then and and, and the venture com- the venture funds that lean in and invest in those companies are, are rewarded um and and it's harder to pull the trigger because you're you're uncertain about how long is this going to last? What's the permanent impact going to be? Mm-hmm. You know, are you going to be able to raise your next fund as easily? And, and so um, there's a little more caution because of the uncertainty. But without a doubt, part of this is because there's so much talent now. Mm-hmm. Not you know, there's you know you see these big tech companies letting people off and. There's a bunch of people that have ideas that are now going to go work on them because um, they get laid off, and, and uh, you know, when companies like Uber lay off 20% of the workforce, right. so a lot of good people that then go, you know, what I've been thinking about this idea, I'm just going to go work on that. I'm going to get another job, and and uh, so I think there's there's great opportunity, um, and uh, and I think in terms of just like the most important thing when you raising money is, is you got to be a good storyteller and okay. so much of it, like you got to get people's attention. They're not going to be an expert in your business. Usually, um, okay. some, some cases they might be, they might be hardcore healthcare investor and they just know it inside and out. But a lot of times, even there, you really have to, you know, you're, you're in it a lot deeper and you know a lot more about it than they do. And you got to get them there in like five minutes. Right. right, you right. Have to, you, and you might've been spending two years on this and, and in five minutes you have to get them to understand what you're doing yeah. why they should invest and and that's all about storytelling and, yeah. and making sure you they understand the problem they understand why you're the team that's going to go solve it they understand why it's a it's a, it's a good place to put their money right and that's hard that's hard to do and I, you see a lot of companies that you know you, you that look like good businesses that have trouble raising and you can't figure it out then you see other companies that you know aren't as far along but they're able to raise and get mm-hmm. good that you know good get good valuations and get a lot of interest and, and I think it really just comes down to you know people are investing in people and, and, and the team and, mm-hmm. and uh, 
And if they don't get it, it's, I think and you, it, it's really about doing a good job telling that story and, and, and creating that picture for them so they, they can really, you know, they can get here sort of two years of, of blood, sweat, and tears and, and research right. into in five minutes of yeah. understanding what you're doing. Uh, that's so interesting. I didn't even ever think about that, that, you know, that a lot of people will be laid off right now and then that this may be a good opportunity for them, you know, to start that company they were thinking about starting. So that's cool. It'll be interesting to see how that kind of pans out over the next couple of years. Um, well, Mike, this was awesome. So the, the last question I want to ask you, I always do like a rapid fire question is what advice you would give to your 30 year old self? And if I do the math right, are you, are you like 48 right now? <laughs> <laughs> 44. 40, oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, I was trying to do the math from when you graduated from yeah. Penn. Um, but, okay, so 44. So around like 14, 15 years ago at age 30, what advice would you give to yourself? Yeah, um, I think generally, I mean, at any point, just have more patience, which I think I've started to have as I've, as I've, uh, um, aged and had more experience, I, I've just developed a lot more patience. I used to, you know, just want things immediately get done, you know, get and run through brick walls to get them done and started to appreciate sort of, you know, having having more patience and the longer term outlook on, on, you know, you can't always go in a straight line to things. Sometimes there's some zigs and zags and you always want to be moving forward. Sometimes mm-hmm. you do have to take a couple steps back to move forward. Um, but if you always have, you know, there's some intention to it, um, but but it doesn't always have to be in a, in a direct straight line. Not everything has to sort of be a directly, you know, uh, you know, move in that direction. If if uh, if you have the patience to sort of see the longer term outlook and, and how it all can how it all can play out. And I don't think, you know, when I was 20 or 30 or 40, I had that. Okay. <laughs> I've started I've started to develop that, which I think. Uh, yeah, can can be can be a good thing, and this helped me sort of the last you know five six years. Okay, very cool. Thanks, I like that. Hi, everybody. Thank you so very much for taking the time to listen to High Five Success Stories. To learn more about the podcast, feel free to follow me on Instagram. My handle is at High Five Success, or on Facebook, you can like High Five Success Stories with Steph Hayden. Or I'm also on Twitter. My handle is at High Five Hayden. And lastly, you can subscribe to the newsletter on my website, www.stephhayden.com. And if you get a second, I would really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast on iTunes. Thanks so much.